We're picking up on where we left off. We're in Shara Bitachon, Chavot Elevavot, the Yafa family edition. Uh, we left off, we were saying how a person with Emunah Shelema, and Bitachon Shelema, and Yirachamayin Shelema, and all these qualities of being almost spiritually perfect does not have to work for his livelihood, right? Because we said the two benefits of working for your livelihood is A, it allows you to pass the tests that Hashem throws at us, right? To see if we're going to do things outside of the Torah, mitzvot, and ethics to obtain more than Hashem has designated for us. And B, it distracts us from doing, you know, bad things like sin. So the guy who's perfect already, uh, quote unquote, uh, no longer has to worry uh, that any of those things apply to him and therefore does not have to work. So naturally, Chavot Elevavot now um, goes into the question as to why that's not always the case, right? Why are there some righteous people that sometimes suffer and have to work hard for their livelihood and struggle? And why are there sometimes wicked people who prosper and wicked people who, who don't have to work so hard for their livelihood? Um, so even though the last audio we asserted that, you know, supremely righteous people are sort of exempt from the need to engage in hishtad lut, um, you know, you would think that that means wicked people are heavenly burdened with that need. But of course, like we said, there's a case where uh, neither of them necessarily apply. So let's see how he addresses that. Now, if someone's going to question what we just said and say, Look, we see that some righteous people get their livelihood with a ton of hard work and toil and struggle and challenge and pain, right? Whereas what we just said above is that they should be free from these efforts. And we also see a lot of sinful people, a lot of people that are wicked and evil, experiencing tranquility. And their lives are actually filled with prosperity and comfort. Whereas you would think they need to be toiling hard for their livelihood because of their evil. So what the Levavot acknowledges, this is a great question. And he actually says, listen, this is an age-old question, right? Right? So before addressing the question, he says, listen, the prophets, the Nevi'im, right? And the pious people of old have already delved into this question. This is a very ancient, well-known philosophical difficulty that we've been asking for thousands of years. So one example is the, the Navi, right? The Yirmiyah. It says, why does the way of the wicked prosper? So now Chavot is listing different areas in the Tanakh where this question is posed. And another one said, this is now in Chavakuk, why do you allow me to see iniquity and you gaze at evil deeds, robbery, and injustice before me, yet the one who carries strife and contention succeeds, right? This is an Ami that's basically asking why the people doing bad succeeding while the people that are doing good are struggling. Ve'amar, and there's another one, Kirasha Machtir et Asadik, right? Where the Pasuk says that the wicked take over the righteous. Right, they they pass them. Ve'amar taharish bebalarasha sadik mimenu. And there's another pasuk, same thing. It says, "You remain silent when a wicked man swallows up the more righteous than he." Ve'amar ahir hine elareshaim shaveolam hiskuchayo. And another one said regarding the success of the wicked, and this is in Tehillim. Behold, these are the wicked, yet they're always tranquil. They have attained great wealth. Ve'amar achrik zikiti lebabi. 
varehats banikayon kapai vayehi nagua kol hayumetohachti labkarim. It also says now, surely in vain I've purified my heart and washed my hands in cleanliness. This is Tehillim. For I was plagued all day long and my chastisement came every morning. So this is the reverse, right? He's saying, David is saying, listen, I purified myself. I, I've been clean. Why am I being plagued by all these challenges? And another prophet said, Malachi, right? The people are complaining of the generation. They say they've been tested. And God, they, they, they even tested God and escaped. There's many, many more, right? We also know the famous conversation between Moshe and Hashem. And Moshe asks Hashem to show him his ways, right? Show me your face. They, the the poskim, the, 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 the mefarshim say that he was basically asking this question, Moshe to Hashem. Why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? So the point of what Avot is trying to say is this is a very famous question. And then he actually says how this question was never answered, right? He says, however, the Navi in each case, each Navi who mentioned this question, whether rhetorical or literal, right, when asking Hashem, uh, never came from it, never came up with an answer. They never, they never settled on anything. They were never able to explain it. This is because the reason for any particular righteous person being tested with hardship any particular wicked person having a good in this world, is different from the reason that another righteous person or another wicked person is given that sort of life. What he's trying to say, what he's explaining, he's saying, the reason why nobody was ever able to come up with an answer is because there is no single answer. There is no one answer that applies to all the cases of the good people suffering and the bad people prospering. He's saying each case is unique. The reason why that Sadiq is suffering is different from the reason that Sadiq is suffering. And the reason this wicked person is prospering is different from the reason this wicked person is prospering. He's saying there's not one answer that explains everything. There's no one equation or algorithm that explains it. It's complicated. Each case has different reasons. Right? So Moshe addresses this question when he says, right, the hidden matters of Hashem are God and the revealed matters of us and our children. He's basically saying, listen, at the end of the day, we don't know the answer. We can't explain it. This is something only Hashem understands. This is something that's above us. We can't possibly understand it. The matters that Hashem takes into account to determine each person's fortune, this person's suffering, this person's success, it's too vast and complex and, 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 and hidden and, 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 and awesome. When I say awesome, meaning it's, it's so great that the human mind can't comprehend it. We cannot understand it. It is not in our power to explain it. And, and or understand it. And that's really the point that Moshe made and that's the point that Havot Lavot is making. And Shlomo HaMelech said similarly in Kohelet, He says, if you see oppression of the poor and the suppression of justice and right in the state, do not wonder over the fact. King Solomon saying, listen, if you see injustice, you see bad things going on that are confusing, don't make sense, don't even try to understand it. Don't wonder. And the Torah says, the rock perfect is his work for all his paths of justice. Which is basically saying, listen, you can't understand it, but guess what? Hashem is perfect. We can't explain it. We don't understand how or why, but Hashem is perfect. Hashem doesn't make mistakes. We have to trust 
that this is perfect as well. We have to trust that even though it looks like, you know, you have the good guy suffering, the bad guy prospering, you have to trust Hashem in his great, great power and justice and wisdom and knowledge and understanding is doing what he's doing. We can't understand it. Um, and it's all, it's interesting because Chavot Lavot is basically saying you can't answer this question. Um, but he nevertheless, Chavot Lavot nevertheless tries to give several reasons for each of these two occurrences, right? Chavot Lavot is going to try to reconcile it a little bit, give us a little bit of, of comfort or at least clarity or at least uh, quench that thirst we have a little bit to understand potentially why this is the case. So he starts with five reasons for why difficulties might be happening to good people. Despite all this, I have seen fit. Despite all this, I see a fit to give an explanation, right? He's saying, I want to give an explanation on this matter that will satisfy a person that might be a little bothered by, by this phenomenon. Ve'omar, Ki apanim ashed ba'aburam yimana me'asadik, his damenut arpo ad sheitra alavi bahen bo. So, I'm going to give uh, the reasons that why a person might, you know, a good person might be struggling to find his livelihood. And, uh, and no matter how hard he, he has to go for it and, and stru- struggle and stress, he, he's, he's, he's being tested, he's, he's struggling for the following reasons. Number one, if shi'ye avon it could be that previously the Sadiq made a sin and uh, now he's paying the price for that. This is the penalty. This is the punishment is that he's struggling. He has to struggle to get his parnasah. The way it says, As it says in Mishle, indeed a righteous person is punished on earth. So that's his first first uh, explanation. He says, listen, you see a righteous guy suffering to make money. He's struggling to make money. Maybe he made a previous sin and he's uh, receiving punishment in this world in the form of his uh, difficult livelihood so that he's spared, you know, worse punishment in Gehinam. This is just the way that the Sadiqim, let's say, are being, are being dealt with, right? Because he quotes Mishlein. Number two, Says sometimes he says number two. Sometimes it could be in exchange for a much better reward that he's going to receive in the next world, right? Meaning maybe okay, he's struggling on earth just so he can have something much greater in the next life. Kemoshe katub the way it says lehitibecha beaharitecha, right? It says in Devarim so that you should to do it will be good for you in your end, right? The pasuk starts with in order to afflict you and test you to do good for you in your end, saying. Okay, right now, the guy has to deal with some suffering, right? He's a righteous person, but he's dealing with some suffering. But it's out of love because it's increasing his reward in Olam Abba. And, 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 and it's also through that test of bitahon. That's also what's nice, right? By not questioning Hashem's actions and accepting his suffering with love and continuing to serve Hashem despite his suffering, his reward in the next world is now increased. So even though he's struggling with his livelihood, it's for better, better payment later. Number three, Ve'yeshiyeh le'arot siblo. Says sometimes it's even to display the righteous person's emuna and bitahon and yirat shamayim and 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 his positive attitude and simhan hoda'a in the service of Hashem, right? Despite his difficulty, so that other people will learn from him. They'll see him. They'll be inspired. Wow, look at this sadiq. He's amazing. Look how he's suffering and toiling to work, but he doesn't let it get him down. He's positive. He's going. He believes. He has faith. So it gives them chizuk and koach to not give up on their service of Hashem even when they're going through hard times. So they bring the example of Iov. 
went through a lot. He was a Sadiq and, and, and the Satan took everything from him. And Hashem subjected him to very uh, great hardships uh, just to prove that he would endure them and not become disloyal to Hashem. And, uh, and of course, that was, that was the story that has now survived generations. I mean, centuries and centuries, and, and we all learn from that. Wow, even Iyov did not give up on Hashem despite his suffering. It's something that's supposed to inspire us. And it's something that's supposed to supposed to give us strength. So that's that's the third the third reason he poses. Number four, sometimes it's due to the wickedness of the people of his generation. They're saying, okay, even in a case where let's say the wicked people won't learn from him, you know, Hashem might test uh, uh, the Sadiq with, with poverty, you know, God forbid, and, and, and illnesses. Uh, to, to sort of, exp- to, to, to show and exhibit his, uh, his piety, his service of Hashem, even in the face of his hardship, uh, in contrast uh, to his, to, to his uh, counterparts, everyone else, right, who, who despite their tranquility and come to life, do not serve Hashem. And this extra effort, of, of this righteous person to overcome the hardship in the face of the wickedness surrounding him brings additional merit to the world and saves it from being destroyed on account of their sins. Meaning it's, it's almost like he's carrying the world on his shoulders. By, by he's, he's fulfilling the, 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 the duties that everyone else should be fulfilling by, by him being so uh, loyal to Hashem despite his surroundings. Right? As it stated, in Yeshaya, but in truth, it was our ills that he bore and our pains that he carried. Talking about the Sadiq, at times, the sins of the wicked are so severe and they outweigh the good deeds of the righteous so much that the world might be destroyed. But to spare the world, Hashem afflicts the Sadiq, uh, who, who by accepting Hashem's decree with love and persevering in his service, despite the hardship, rises to a spiritual level that he cannot have attained otherwise. And this extra merit is what ultimately saves the world from, from destruction. So so that's, that's, that's what he's saying... Uh, Number four is right is that sometimes the righteous person will bear the ills of the wicked. He'll he'll hold it himself um, to to almost uh, spare the world. Um, now again, this doesn't this doesn't get rid of. And the commentary says this: this doesn't get rid of. This doesn't absolve the wicked of their punishment. Right? They're going to be judged, um, but it's more that uh, the immediate effect of his righteousness that the world's not just going to get wiped out. Um, and number five, Sometimes it's a punishment that's uh, put on the righteous person because he's not passionate enough and zealous enough to execute judgment on the wicked people, right? Or protest against them, right? People who are disobeying the Torah. As you know, with Elia Kohen and his son, it says, Right? Where it says, and it shall be that anyone left over of your family that will come to bow down to him for a small coin or a loaf of bread. Basically, basically Hashem cursed the descendants of Eliyahu Kohen with such poverty that, uh, that um, they would have to bow down to a later Kohen Gadol begging him to allow them to join so then they could have bread to eat. And this was only because uh, Eli failed to, to, to chastise and, and, and rebuke his own sons for their sinful behavior. Um, so what we're learning about here is that, you know, you have, to, you have to rebuke somebody if you see them sinning. Of course, it's a very, very complex halakha if you believe that it will embarrass the person 
or will make the person angry or will actually make the person do the sin more. It's actually forbidden to do so. There's certain ways to do it. It's a very nuanced halakha. But uh, the point is, at the level of Sadiqim that we're talking here, I mean, it's a little bit more clear, right? Uh, Eli, uh, the Kohen, could have told his sons um, that they were doing things wrong. There's obviously a lot of situations in the Tanakh where some Jews were doing idol worship and the Jews that weren't were also punished because they were watching and let it happen. So it's definitely a theme, and that is one of the reasons that Chorot is uh, uh, saying that uh, could be the cause of why we observe righteous people struggling. So let's just quickly summarize the five potential reasons on why righteous people suffer to get their livelihood, and then we'll move on to the potential reasons for why the wicked people succeed, and then we'll and then we'll conclude. So number one is that it could be the righteous person made a previous sin, and this is the kapara, this is the surin, this is cleansing him of it. This is the payment for it. Number two, sometimes it's just so that he has greater reward in the world to come, right? In heaven, in Olam Abba, uh, because um, he's handling it with such grace. Sometimes it's to inspire the people around him. Wow, look at this Sadiq who's struggling and yet he's still committed to Hashem with happiness. Sometimes it's due to the wickedness, this is number four, due to the wickedness of the people of his generation and he's carrying up the world basically on his shoulders. And number five, sometimes it is because he did not rebuke the people that were sinning around him. So that's the five potential reasons Chuvot Levot explains that righteous people might suffer to get their livelihood. He's now going to provide six brief reasons as to why the wicked sometimes prosper. As far as the good that the Almighty Blessed Be sometimes puts on a wicked person, here are the following reasons. Sometimes it could be a good deed that the, that the sinful person made. Wicked people do uh, good things sometimes, right? Esav, as we know, the very famous one in the Tanakh is Esav did kivud avayim, right? And God's rewarding this person in this world, right? Hashem doesn't give, uh, Hashem doesn't hold back reward for good deeds, even if it's an evil person doing it. Um, now, sometimes for, for the righteous people, we know that Hashem delays giving them their reward until olam haba, because it could be infinitely better. But for the wicked, it's saying, no, for their few good deeds, while they're in this world, Hashem will reward them. It says, It says, and he repays each of those who hate him before him to make him perish. Which the earlier authorities have rendered in Targum. And he repays those who hate him for the good deeds that they do before him in their lifetime to make them perish in the world to come. So it's basically an interpretation, right? There's a quote that says, he repays each of those who hate him before him to make him perish, right? Basically, which at Peshat, it just means people who hate him, uh, they die. Um, Whereas another way to interpret it is people who hate him, who do good, he repays them in their lifetime and then they die in Olam Haba, right? Like it's saying that uh, that basically Hashem is paying the wicked for their good deeds here so that in the next life they don't get anything um, because um, because that would be significantly better as we know, right? To get to get in, uh, to get reward in Olam Haba. Um, so that's the reason number one. Reason number two, Sometimes the wealth of a wicked person is given to him in a matter of, as a matter of a deposit. It's almost like a loan. Until Hashem is ready to give it to a righteous son that, that's worthy of the wealth. Meaning maybe Hashem knows this evil person is going to have a righteous son one day or a righteous grandson, right? So he'll give this person, this wicked person financial success. So it's almost like a loan or a deposit, right? 
uh, and, and then this person, when he dies, it's going to go on to the right person, the righteous Sadiq who, who, who deserves to inherit it. Kemosh Ahmad, Yachin Sadiq Yobash. As it says in Yov, that we may amass money like dirt and prepare a wardrobe as abundant as clay. That's the previous words before the Pasuk. He may prepare, but a righteous person shall wear it. Meaning, you have a bad guy, he's getting money, he's getting success. He could prepare, meaning he could be the guy doing the work, but the righteous man's the one who's going who's gonna to have it. The Amar, Velahote, Natan, Inyan, Le'esof. And it says in Kohelet, but to the sinner, he has given the urge to gather in a mass that he may give it over to the one who's pleasing to God. Amazing. So in Kohelet, he's saying, Hashem gives to the sinner this desire and urge to get mother, get money, gather money, gather money, gather money, just so that at the right time, Hashem can pass it on to someone that, that, that Hashem wants to pass it on to. So that's number, that's number two. Number three, it could be that his wealth is going to be the cause of his death or his harm, right? This is a classic, classic, classic thing, right? We see a lot of times how money ruins people's lives, right? King Solomon says, I believe that that, that wealth can sometimes be uh, uh, a person's punishment, greatest punishment. Um, it destroys families, it destroys relationships, it causes health issues, it destroys just the quality of life in general. So that's this example. As it's written, wealth hoarded by its owner to his misfortune. Um, a great example is actually Korach, right? That's, that's, that's a good one too from Tanakh, where his wealth made him so arrogant that he rebelled against Moshe and ultimately uh, he was swallowed in the earth. Um, another example was we read uh, previously in this book, uh, previous audios where we spoke about how a wealthy person becomes over anxious. He has to take care of all his assets. He's worried about losing the money, and you know it becomes uh, it becomes stressful on the heart. So that's another example here. So that's number three that it could be the cause of death or harm to the person. Number number four. It's possible that Hashem is being patient with the, with the wicked person until he repents and becomes worthy of his wealth. Nice. This is a beautiful, beautiful answer. It's a nice, it's a little different, little different taste, right? This is more Hashem's very merciful. Hashem's patient. So if you see a wicked guy that's succeeding and has money, uh, Hashem's being patient with the guy. Hashem has mercy. Maybe one day the guy's going to be a good guy. He'll do Teshubah and he'll be worthy of his wealth. As you know uh, from the matter of King Menashe, who was very evil and wicked for the first 22 years of his reign. But Hashem allowed him to stay in power because, uh, you know, he'd have the opportunity to repent and thank God eventually, eventually he did. Number five, sometimes the success of a wicked person could be because of the uh, good deeds, the pious deeds performed by his father. So it's sechut avot, literally. In return, uh, for which it was fitting to give bounty to his son, even though the son's undeserving. Meaning, you know, you might have had a Sadiq, a great guy who has, you know, had a bad son, evil son for some reason. We don't know why. And in the merit of the Sadiq, the son survived. Hashem gave the son money to be able to, to live, to live well. Kemoshe Amad li ben Nimshi, ben Israel. As Hashem said to Yehu ben Nimshi, because you have done well, doing that's what's proper in my eyes. Uh, for you have done to the house of Achav according to what was in my heart. Four generations of your descendants will sit upon the throne of Israel for your sake. So he took an example from the Navi where uh, Hashem rewarded a, a, a Navi. Uh, basically, Hashem told Yehu to eliminate the entire family of Achav. 
And uh, since he did it and he succeeded, Hashem promised him that four generations of his descendants would rule over the kings. So even though, uh, over the kingdom of Israel. So even though the descendants were unworthy, they were able to remain in power due to the good deeds of their of their father, of their ancestor. Uh, and it says in Mishle, one who walks in his innocence is a righteous man, fortunate are his sons after him. It says in Tehillim, I've been a youth and I've aged and I've not seen a righteous person, a righteous man forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. Basically, look, even in the, in the Tehillim we read, in the Birkat Amazon, right? A person who's righteous, his children, we don't even see hungry because Hashem sometimes rewards the uh, the uh, children for the father. And number six, lastly, Sometimes it's to test and expose other people that are inwardly evil and other frauds. Why? When they see this phenomenon of wicked, evil people being successful, they'll be quick to turn away from the service of Hashem. Right? They rush to, to, to immerse themselves with the evildoers and, and learn about how to emulate them in their deeds so their hypocrisy is exposed. Meaning, God forbid, you imagine you have some people, they might be looking out at the world, they say, wow, this guy's a rasha and he's successful in business. This guy's cheating on his wife and he's successful in business. This guy's a liar and a stealer and he's happy living in a mansion. And this guy... These, some of these people might, might, might say, you know what? You, who needs this other stuff? Who needs to be a good person? Who needs Torah? Who needs mitzvah? God forbid. And run after these other people. Teach me your ways. How are you doing it? You... So, so Hashem sometimes does this phenomenon to expose these people um, because again, it's, it's, it's something that's dormant in their hearts. And when they see this, it gets them to, to show their true colors. Now, you know, you might wonder why, what does that do? Uh, why does Hashem need them to expose their true colors? Oh, who knows? Maybe when they actually expose it, they see themselves and then they'll do Teshubah or maybe... Uh, who knows? We, we don't know. And at the same time, one who's pure-hearted in his dedication to Hashem also becomes identified publicly, right? And one who is faithful and steadfast in his service of Hashem is revealed. Right? Because through continuing to serve Hashem... Even as he endures the suffering at the hands of those who are successful and evil, and they are over him and shame him, it, it, it brings them. It shows who they really are. Right? You see, good people that are that are seeing wicked people prosper, but they they still nope. I don't care if the wicked person is successful. I'm going to stay true. I'm going to stay pure. I'm going to stay on the path of Hashem. And that person will receive reward from the Creator for that commitment that he has in the face of persecution. As you know from the story of Eliyahu with Izebel, which after uh, Eliyahu and Avi confronted the false prophets of the Baal on Mount Carmel, and he had them all killed, uh, the wicked queen Izebel, who was a big uh, uh, um, endorser of the Baal, she took her soldiers to kill Eliyahu and he was forced to run and he had he went through a lot of struggle, but ultimately he was rewarded uh, with everlasting greatness. He became Eliyahu and Avi. And the last example would be Eliyahu with the kings uh, of his generation where he definitely warned people of death, suffering and exile and the destruction of Jerusalem a lot uh, if they failed to repent and they persecuted him for it. They beat him, they, they threatened to kill him, they threw him in jail. Um, but again, he, he, he stuck to, to his path and to what he knew was right. So um, that's, those are the six potential reasons as to why uh, bad people might prosper. 
Number one, it could be a previous good deed that the person did. Number two, it could be that the person is temporarily holding the money to give it to someone who eventually deserves it. Number three, it could be that the money itself is what's going to destroy him and be his punishment. Number four, it could be Hashem's mercy and being patient with the person. Number five, it could be the person's father was a very good person and he now has a chut avot and the merit of his father he has money. And number six, it could be to expose the frauds and the evil people, but also expose the good people. So that's where we're going to leave it for now. Reasons why sometimes good people suffer and bad people uh, succeed. And uh, next subject, just to leave a little bit of a cliffhanger, we're going to see how a person can practically choose a job, choose a career, choose work, choose an occupation based on Bitachon. Good night.